Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Weekend Ball Podcast. Uh, this, you know, we've been on a bit of a hiatus with Canada basketball, obviously, uh, and the FIBA World Cup uh, ending a couple months ago. But we are very, very lucky to be joined by the CEO of Canada basketball and someone I admire very deeply, uh, Mike Bartlett. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time and, and coming on. How are you? Alex, I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, thanks for having me. And and honestly, thanks for making the trek out to Indonesia, too. I know that was a passion project for you. And and hopefully we gave you some good memories while you were there, too. Yeah, no, uh, I, I definitely did. And, and thankfully uh, for both of us, uh, Canada won and made the yes. uh, Olympics and obviously got the bronze medal in, in Manila. But I just want to ask you, like, what was it like? For you, uh, I know, uh, you know, you, you definitely felt uh, the emotions of, and the swings in the games. Just what was it like to see the team in Jakarta make the Olympics and then actually, uh, you know, get a medal and beat the U.S.? Well, it was a it was a wide range of emotions personally and professionally. I think you you stress through uh, a lot of it. Uh, and, and that is both as a fan, but also as somebody involved in the organization. Like we, we had very clear expectations for ourselves. Qualifying for the Olympics was an absolute must. And then you find yourself 12 points down to Spain in the fourth quarter of, of what is a do or die game towards that objective. And the fan kicks in the emotions of, you know, just feeling so anxious and, and feeling every shot and every possession with great weight. Um, you know, it was, it was the most emotional sporting experience that I've ever been a part of mm. through that entire tournament. I have been lucky as a fan and as a consumer of sport to be at some amazing events as a fan. And as somebody who just purchased a ticket, I was at, you know, the 2010 Olympic gold medal hockey game. Mm-hmm. And this was nothing like that this was a, another level of emotion for me uh, because it is personal at this stage mm-hmm. being so connected to the organizations and the ambitions of everybody that are a part of it knowing the athletes knowing you know the staff the coaches what everybody went through to to punch that olympic ticket and knowing that it wasn't a one game you know i know we positioned it as a one game win and in but it was three years of games, three years of practices, three years of effort, and a whole bunch of people that weren't there on the ground with us in Indonesia that made that fourth quarter possible. And the comeback is historic. The Olympic um, qualification is expected, but, you know, also to a degree historic. And then, you know, just set us on like a really good path towards the medal round uh, that played out in Manila. And, and then we made history there too. So a truly fulfilling uh, up and down <laughs> roller coaster of a ride, but that's sports and that's what I signed up for. That's what I love about it. And, and with you and your job, like what impact does Canada making the Olympics have for, you know, Canada basketball, the organization? I know we've, you know, talked about it and, you know, marketing, you know, money in money out all that stuff like just what does it mean for the organization yeah i think for the org it's it allows us to plan it allows us to speak uh, to 
you know, the funding ecosystem, corporate partners, government partners with utmost confidence. It's a reality. We know we're going. The ticket is ours. Um, you know, when I think back to, you know, the planning cycle, even for the World Cup, we knew in November that we were going to the World Cup so we could start lining up friendlies. We start lining up training camp uh, locations, flights, and all of that. Listen, the longer you wait to book all that stuff, the more expensive it is. So we've got the benefit of time now on our side where we can make some of those plans and get ahead of the cost escalation. Hmm. Um, but then ultimately to brand partners, like we've been very fortunate to have a lot of brands invest in our ambition of where we thought we should go, what our expectations were. But now that we know on the men's program, we're going there where the women have been for the last number of quads. We have confidence, of course, in the women qualifying eventually in February once that process plays itself out. We can now with confidence turn to brands and they can be confident in return. Mm -hmm. uh, so the ability to have that conversation with reality, not just ambition and, and expectation. It's allowing us certainly to get ahead of some of the, you know, the commercial conversations and, and even the planning conversations that we have. I, you know, if we had punched our ticket in Victoria to go to Tokyo, yes, there were plans that were ready to go, but, you know, commercially we wouldn't have been able to leverage the fact that we knew we were Olympic. Mm -hmm. now, we can, now we can. And uh, whether like it sounds crass or, 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 you know, not, the reality is our ability to win does come down to our ability to fund that winning. And what I'd really like to do is be able to fund a life cycle of winning and let the momentum of what's happening in our senior teams right now fuel what can happen for generations to come in our age group teams and really start to invest really heavily into the pipeline of basketball in this country, not just at the senior level. What kind of what, like with that you know money coming in what what specifics do you want to streamline to maybe you know youth levels and and how does that kind of uh go down the the chain in terms of money in uh from sponsorship and through the success of the both the men's women's and you know 3x3 uh teams as well yeah so what some of the europeans uh federations do very well that i think becomes a bit of a guidebook for us now with the senior success that we have men's women's 3x3 as well uh, what does the age group and pipeline investment strategy need to look like to sustain winning over a prolonged period of time? Spain, France, United States, you know, they've been in the top three, four, five ranked countries at all age groups for decades. So what are they doing right? Um, with the extra resources they have financially, they invest in coaching development that creates better talent and skill capacity at all levels of the organization down to the academy cadet level at U14. Um, how are we developing coaches that even aren't in our system yet that are Canadian coaches with high capacity, high interest, so that uh, whether or not they end up in our system as a coach, we know that better coaches in the ecosystem will create better players in the ecosystem, which might propel more players into our system. So it's a, it's a chicken and egg uh, opportunity. Yeah investment and coaching. Uh, and then also from an age group perspective, I think you're starting to see um, RJ Barrett, for example, um, he was a young boy in a U14 junior academy that was created seven, eight years ago that is now on our senior team. Shay's an example of that, others as well. So 
how do we expand the junior academy? Right now it's centralized and operates kind of once a month out of Ontario, men's and women's or boys mm-hmm. and girls of that age group. How are we now mobilizing that perhaps across the country with some increased funding so that BC, Montreal, other nodes pop up and on weekends, the talent in those regions can descend into a Canada basketball directed environment and learn a style of play that is Canada's style of play, learn, you know, principles of foundational basketball that will help propel them eventually to an age group team, perhaps eventually to a global jam team and maybe to a senior team. But at the very least, it propels them to be more talented when they have a chance to go somewhere else and play globally NCAA or over in Europe at some point as a pro. So these are all ambitions that money will unlock. Yeah. And, and what's interesting, you guys have done something. I mean, I doubt this has ever been uh, happened before, but you guys have partnered, you know, for a long time with the Raptors and and maybe describe that, but also just this uh, came out a couple of days ago that you have a sponsorship in place with logos on the women's team. Like that's yeah. just talk about that. Cause that's a pretty cool relationship in and of itself. And also just having logos on, you know, international jerseys for an NBA team is pretty cool too. Yeah, it's pretty cool for everybody, um, including, you know, our women's team that are pretty jazzed about it, too. I think the story we haven't told well is that from day one of the Raptors, back to when John Vitov was awarded the team, they've been supporters of Canada basketball as a franchise. Um, it started very much around, you know, the hosting uh, John Vitov and the operating group that eventually became the Raptors ownership group of the 1994 World Championships, FIBA World Championships. Mm-hmm. There was a direct Canadian basketball impact for that. And it's continued. I worked at the Raptors for a decade and one of my portfolios was the Canada basketball relationship. So I know firsthand all the time, money and energy that has come from MLSD and the Raptors to support the ambitions of Canada basketball. And for the longest time, I'll say that support was really foundational. It was at a time when commercially, the organization didn't have the reach that it has now. And, and the Raptors were that one unmistakable constant for Canada basketball. When I think back shortly after I started at Canada basketball, we're convening the women's uh, Olympic camp and there was no place for them to train in Canada because of the pandemic protocols. What did the Raptors do? They put up their hand and said, come on down to Tampa and use for free the facility that we spent millions of dollars to create as a temporary spot for us. That partnership uh, has unlocked opportunities for our organization in ways that the public probably should know more about and, and it'll probably take decades to tell all the stories. Putting the Raptor mark and logo on the women's shorts is honestly a way for Canada basketball to say thank you. Hmm. The Raptors for financially, in-kind, operationally, strategically, supporting the ways of Canada basketball for you know upwards of three decades now it's also a way for us to signify and I know there's a lot of talk about you know WNBA in Canada so on and so forth I got a question yesterday from somebody in the media like about you know yeah you know if they're do you wish they had supported a WNBA franchise well that's not my place to say what I will say is they're supporting a WNBA team and all of those WNBA athletes have Canada across their chest yeah at the announcement yesterday, there were six WNBA athletes behind me who play for Canada. So, yes, the Raptors are supporting the WNBA and the efforts of growing the girls and women's game in this country. And they're doing it at every level of our development. They're not just picking the pro opportunity. They're doing the amateur opportunity. They're doing 
the senior team opportunity and all the way down to our grassroots with the creation of the Mad Love campaign, which plays out in the way that we're teaching in the academy that we have now started, you know, also mm-hmm. thanks in part to their support. So I got a lot of time and energy. Obviously, I've, I've spent 10 years uh, with the organization as well, but I wish Canada do more and I wish we had more opportunity to tell the story of what the Raptors have really meant to Canada basketball, because without them, the success today is impossible. And I want to go to just the team on the court. And obviously, uh, you know, the Raptors were involved. You had Nick Nurse at the helm for a long time. And and now, obviously, Jordy Fernandez. Maybe just talk about a little bit about that whole process of, of going from Nick to, to Jordy. Mm-hmm. And also just what are the expectations? Like, is he going to be, is Jordy going to be the coach in uh, 2024 at the Olympics? Yeah, certainly. Um, well, you don't draw it up this way. You don't eight weeks before your training camp uh, pivot your head coaching um appointment but again you know you think about the the impact that nick has had we don't achieve what we've achieved without nick and you know since 2019 the principles and the fundamentals that he put in place within the culture of the program as well having these athletes you know 16 to 18 athletes commit three summers in a row to be part of something and then actually if you look at the commitment we had from the winter core as well the scrubs never missed a shift. Cassius, you know, there were so many, Trey Bell, Haynes, Melvin, uh, who played winter and summer uh, for components of the time too. So Nick was really the instigator of that core commitment and that strategy. And we owe him a, a, you know, a large debt of gratitude for that. And then he was very open and involved with us, Rowan specifically, myself to a degree, as he was transitioning from the wraps into the Philly, uh, you know, ecosystem of being honest with us say like listen i just don't think it's going to work for me to be able to commit the time to this program this summer uh we understand it and we were able to get ahead of it and and actually miraculously to a degree keep it somewhat quiet where we could work in the background Mm -hmm. to figure out what should happen next and Jordy had already been on our program's radar as somebody with FIBA experience, come through the Spanish system, knew the NBA guy as well. And I think there at, at times had been talk of like just adding them to the coaching staff in general. But then as the transition was becoming more and more apparent or the need to transition um, with Nick was becoming more and more apparent, Nick and Rowan were talking to Jordy a bit more about like what this could look like to bring him in as a head coach. And well, we had some other candidates we were thinking about. Jordy was certainly at the top of the list and uh, it was, it went as smoothly as you can hope for in a very, what could have been a turbulent situation to begin with. We were able to get that done and announced all in kind of one package, Nick transitioning out, Jordy transitioning in, communicate with the athletes before the public announcement. So all the things that you hope to do, we were Mm -hmm. able to do. And I give Rowan a lot of credit for stick handling that. And with that, I know you've talked about how Jordy, you know, told you that you wanted kind of he wanted a kind of pro style environment for for Canada basketball. Maybe talk, you know, we've talked about it a bit in Jakarta when we were together, but just how what Canada basketball has done for the players to make it almost a first class and uh, environment for them and and how much you guys, you know, kind of took a big bet on them to to be successful, to kind of reap the rewards. Yeah. And, and we're. We're doing that across our men's and women's portfolios uh, because they're filled with pro athletes. We can't ask pro athletes to give us their time for free because that's really what it is. Um, We are asking them based on their pride for the country and loyalty to the program uh, to compete for Canada. 
at a time when they can choose to do something else. And so what were the tenants that we believed were part of that value exchange that we owed them? And here's what we heard time and time again from our men and our women. Best coaching possible so that when I leave this environment, I'm actually a better player than when I came in. When when I go back to whatever club I'm going back to. So you see the investments we've made across all of our programs in coaching and retaining, you know, top quality pros, mixture of FIBA and NBA or WNBA experience. We've done that. Uh, better training camp environments. And by that means, you know, where we train, how long we train, the resources and, and environments that we train in. Um, so our women and men have certainly um, been able to do that through Canada. We've partnered with some great, um, you know, whether it be the Raptors when we train in Toronto, City of Edmonton or Victoria, first class training facilities, first class hotels, you know, good meal programs, all of that. Uh, and then, you know, the third one is really about competition prep and scrimmages. What the, I don't, I'm not an athlete, but, you know, when I did play <laughs> recreational, <laughs> you know, games are a lot more fun than practice, right? Like, yeah. AI wasn't kidding when he was a practice. Yeah. <laughs> um, the athletes like to run in game scenarios and leading into a competition, you have to spend some money and some time and some resources to make sure that you match up against top quality competition before you go into that competition. And that's not something that we've always been able to invest in. And now, now we are, for example, you know, the women just even, before this summer uh, in their America, we, we flew, we, we hosted Japan for three games yep. in Victoria, top quality competition. So, you know, quite frankly, our team got their butts kicked twice. Um, it was a very young roster. They were learning to play together and then they go on a great run at America because of the strong prep that they had against, you know, mm -hmm. and for the men getting over to Germany, playing some games, getting over to Spain, playing some games. Might I add two of those prep games had overtime scenarios and we won both of those. And when we roll into the game against USA, I don't want to say I was overconfident, but knowing that our team had played and won in overtime, mm -hmm. I was confident yeah. for sure. So those outcomes happen because you prep right, you train right, and you're, you're surrounded by the right coaches. So that's how we can invest back into the promise to the athletes um, by top quality pro level experience. What type of kind of, um, you know, friendlies or, or stuff do you have? You know, I'm not going to try to make you uh, reveal state secrets, but just like what, what kind of what should people expect ahead for the Olympics, especially on the men's side where they know for sure, although I, I'm very confident in the women, as you said, as well, making the Olympics, but just give us a little bit of an idea around that. Um, so we are kind of the bell of the ball right now. We're getting a lot of offers, which is great. Uh, what, awesome. I, what I am learning with a European-based Olympics, drawing teams to North America before they then go back to Europe, because you actually look at the number of teams that are pre-qualified on the men's side, a lot of them are European-based, uh, and then you've got Australia and Japan. Um, pulling them to North America for friendlies is going to be tough. Um, we're trying, <laughs> hmm. uh, but it's going to be tough. What I am confident in is we're going to have a good set of runs um, globally, probably based in Europe, 
we're trying to get something done in North America with another friend that happens to have qualified from North that resides in North America as well. I, so, I think I know what you're who you're alluding to, uh, <laughs> Mike. We're but trying uh, to get that done, uh, it would be wonderful. Whether or not that's Canadian soil or U.S. soil or both, I, I can't promise yet. But we're we're certainly talking about it. Um, and then from you know what I what we're also trying to do is is around our training camps, which would you know, be domestic, both men's and women's, uh, even if they're in different locations or at different times, open practices, red and white scrimmage games. We want Canada to experience um, engagement awesome. with the team and we want the team to experience engagement with the fans. So uh, we're, we're going to take, you know, back in my old Raptors community programming days, the open practice that they used to run and still do. Uh, there's something there that's magic, I think, that we could unlock for this Olympic prep too. And and with that, with the the men's team, uh, I'm sure you've heard all the you know people talking about what 12 goes to, uh, you know Paris. And obviously, there's a lot of time between now and then, and there's injuries and everything. But for me, um, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this. But how is Canada basketball approaching the core 14, the guys that, um, you know, committed, and then maybe guys outside of that in terms of being on the roster, like an Andrew Wiggins and others. Um, in terms of who gets to go to Paris, is it exclusively core 14 as the, like, just give us a kind of what Canada basketball is thinking on that. Yeah. I think Rowan and Jordy have both spoken well to it. Uh, First of all, what I'll say is it's, it's great to hear all athletes, Canadian athletes talk about their interest in being a part of it next year, Uh, whether or not they're on that, you know, promoted core or, or, or list or not having the excitement of Canadian athletes to be a part of something that we're building. uh, That's what you want. These are now nice problems to have, right? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, there is a lot of respect for and commitment to those that have answered the call um, through this window and, or through these windows and through this quad to make up our core. Um, Each one of those men can, you know, fully count on, you know, being in training camp. And, and I think that's something that, that we can say with pride. Um, I think there is some discussion around some at certain positions and, and certain players and whether or not they fit with an opportunity to compete. And I think in a lot of cases, some degrees, our core players are going to have a say in that. Okay. I think, um, I think, you know, I, th- I think back to what you try to do in, in establishing even this core strategy. It was about building a team. Mm-hmm. And teams have voices. And those voices are are to be checked in with. Um, and that, that's how you build a great organizational and winning culture. It's not a dictatorship. So I know Jordy's having conversations. Rowan's having conversations. We're, you know, we want to know what the guys think. Uh, and what their ambitions are. And and I think you don't necessarily give the team the only say, but it's a say. And we need to have conversations. What, what we need to focus on right now is uh, supporting all of our Canadian athletes through their season, celebrating them when they come through Toronto, um, you know, on the Jumbotron as, as Canadians. And, you know, as an organization for us, really concentrating on, getting the women qualified, the 3x3 women qualified. There's still an outside shot that a men's 3x3 team could qualify too. So, you know, we won't get too far down the rabbit hole of of building the men's roster yet. 
what I can say is we're taking great pride in the fact that I think we've established a culture that everyone wants to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And only good things will happen from that over time. What what would what would a, a good Olympics for you, Mike, be in in Canada basketball? How how would you maybe define that? Uh, you've heard me say it a few times, probably, but like the opportunity to create a moment that Canadians will carry with them for a lifetime. I could, I could rhyme off six or seven in my lifetime and half of them, if not more, are Olympic connected moments. Sid's goal, Donovan, even Ben Johnson. I remember sitting on the living room floor for that. Mm. Um, you know, there's some figure skating moments. I like my, I grew up in an Olympic household. Like we just like the Olympics were on for TV or on for two weeks. And like, we just, the, the household shut down. I even think I got to skip school from time to time um, depending on the time zone. So Olympic moments are become Canadian iconic moments. And I'd love for our program to create one or two of those over the course of Paris. The cool thing about the basketball calendar over the Olympics is that there's a chance we could, you know, play one of our teams could play almost every day. Yeah. It's a two-week storyline, and I'd love to keep it going for the full two weeks. I'd love to get out of the medal or get out of the the round robin, all of our teams, and into the medal round and give Canada a real chance to, like, rally around something. Uh, I think if we were in a different – like, listen, the television numbers for the World Cup were really strong considering the time zone. Um, That Canada-Spain game, um, even with the rebroadcast of the cumulative, did, uh, I think, greater than 500,000. Wow reach uh you put that thing at 8 p.m primetime live uh yeah that's you know we're 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 on to something here and i think basketball is connecting with this country and i think the chance to celebrate basketball over a two-week period in a friendlier time zone like paris could create some real moments for the country and i want to be the reason that canada has moments like i want our program to be reason so that's that's what i hope for does that mean a medal a podium sure as heck hope so like mm-hmm. i think we're good enough I, I do believe we're good enough um i'd love for that to be the case but at the very least like moments that rally this country that we create that's that's the ultimate goal well mike i really appreciate you taking the time and doing this i'm gonna throw a, a you know a tough question at you but a fun question and uh so be on your toes uh who do you take shea gilders alexander or steve nash who who is the better player for canada my bias will show because obviously (laughs) i'm heavily involved in the program now and and you know i'm predisposed to now i just i i'm hard-pressed never I, I don't think I could ever not pick Shea in that question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. See, like, man, the coolest thing I ever saw in live sports was he hits that two-pointer to go up against Spain. Yep. And then he's just like, yep. and just like everybody just calm down. Like that, and that's who he is, man. Like it, it was fascinating to watch him prepare and, and be level and no one to turn on it. And it looks like he's moving in slow motion. His ability yeah. to stop his body. I don't think anyone has actually 
had that kind of body control before that I, that I can recall. I watched a lot of basketball. I grew up like primarily a basketball fan. So like I've watched a lot of basketball even before I got into the business of it. And I don't think I've any, ever seen anyone who can move like that. It's, it's fun to watch. My, my colleague, Jonathan Chen, uh, when uh, Shea hit that famous step back three oh. around uh, miles, was uh, Mikhail Bridges and Austin Reeves. I think those yeah, were the two. The double break? The double yeah, yeah, yeah. Break. And you see his ankles and they're almost like curved in. And yeah. uh, my, my colleague was like, I don't know how that's like, how does his ankles work that way? But he's an amazing player. Like you catch him, of course, like we're in the training environment over those that time. And like he's kneeling on a BOSU ball, kneeling on a BOSU. I can't even like. I can't even sit on a BOSU ball with my feet on the floor. Uh, he's kneeling on it. It's stationary. He's pressing weight with one arm and pulling a band with another, and it's stationary. Like, that's that's how. Yeah. That's how. Uh, core control, all that stuff. But, like, he trains for that. He does everything on purpose for that, for those moments. Uh, there's no slight of Steve. Um, I, I think this program and this sport in this country. Yeah is probably a decade and a half ahead of where it would have been without him or even two decades without him. Um, but yeah, I think if, if you're asking me going into this Olympics, Steve at his prime or shade is prime. I think today's game needs shade is prime for us to be winners. For sure. And uh, I just want to say, Mike, I'm, I'm so appreciative of all of the work you've done for Canada basketball. I really feel uh, we're in good hands and uh, I I'm really appreciate you, you know, being gracious with your time. Cause I know you're a very, very busy guy um i just want to give you the floor as the ceo is there anything you else you want to you know tell people about canada basketball anything they can expect any anything at all that uh, you want to talk about um well thank you you're, you're very kind uh, it uh, it's it's a lot of fun to have this responsibility and this job and and to lean into you know, creating the momentum that we're hoping to create and, and are creating. I think, um, you know, my challenge to the Canadian basketball fan is don't make this just about, you know, the men's team. We have, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you straight up, our, if you were to look at the betting odds of our best chance to win a medal, it's our 3x3 women's team. Oh. Back to back women's series champions, uh, two years in a row. When the four of them were on the court together in a tournament, they were undefeated this summer. Wow. So, you know, we've got a lot of opportunity right now. And, and I think I just don't want Canada to sleep on all of the opportunity. The men's um, team will certainly get a lot of the titles and headlines and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's more of a, it's almost a shame on media and the way that they pay attention in that mm -hmm. way. But ultimately what we're about to do, it's a men's women's women's three X three. It's a multifaceted story. Well, thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to, you know, watch the Olympics, hopefully with, you know, all four uh, teams, uh, men's women's three X three, obviously the women's team as well, who should qualify, hopefully uh, fingers crossed. And I really appreciate your t time and uh, thanks so much for doing this.